You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of completing one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is sponsored by Antioch University's Low Residency MFA Program in Creative Writing. Want to learn how to write fiction, nonfiction, poetry, young adult, screenwriting, or playwriting in a two-year program that's mostly remote? Apply by visiting antioch.edu slash apply. Hi, my name is Paria Hasuri, and I've written a memoir called Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. Paria Hasuri is a pediatrician, mother of three, and transgender rights activist. She graduated from the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine in 1999 and completed her residency training at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation in 2002. Her personal essays have been published in multiple sites, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and the Huffington Post, and she has presented stories on stage through Expressing Motherhood. A proud Iranian-American, she spent her formative years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She currently resides and practices in Los Angeles, California. Her memoir, Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change, was released in September 2020. In Found in Transition, Hasuri is blindsided when her teenager comes out as transgender. As Hasuri navigates through anger, denial, and grief to eventually arrive at acceptance, her journey forces her to reflect on her own experiences of being an Iranian immigrant growing up in Pittsburgh, one of a handful of brown kids in a near-all-white school district. She examines how the insecurities she is carrying from her past are leading her to parent with fear rather than love. She also questions her identity as both a mother and a pediatrician, given she had no inkling her child is transgender. She examines why her medical training never prepared her for parenting a trans child. As her daughter transitions from male to female, she discovers her own capacity to evolve, what it really means to parent, and how to use her voice to raise awareness about the large percentage of transgender people who don't present in childhood in the classical way the media portrays. While this is a story that weaves the journeys of a pediatrician mother and her transgender teenager, it illustrates universal themes of parenting, identity, belonging, self-discovery, growth, and unconditional love. It is the story of a modern American family. A few years ago, I started writing some personal essays just as something fun to do for myself on the side. And that really started when a friend asked me if I wanted to join a little writing group with her. I was about 40 at the time, and I had never tried to do anything creative. And I said to her, well, I don't know why you're asking me to join. I'm not a writer. And she said, no, I think you have stories to tell, and I think you are a writer. I remember the first time she gave a little prompt and I wrote a two minute personal thing and it was about a little baby blanket that one of my kids used to carry around all the time. And after the two minute free write, I sort of read what I wrote and I looked up and my friends all had tears in their eyes. And then she was like, I knew you're a writer. And that's really sort of where my writing journey began. Soon after I started experimenting with running, I felt like running and writing really went hand in hand together for me, where if I was on a really long run, all these words, ideas, thoughts would come to my head. And sometimes I'd come home sort of a sweaty mess and scribble down a few things. 
And that eventually led to a little bit of blogging and more writing and went from there. And it wasn't until a few years later where I started to think about writing a memoir, but I didn't really know what I would write or how I would write it or how I would even start it or if I had enough to stay. My initial thought was that I was going to write more about a woman sort of coming into her own in her 40s. And then my daughter came out as transgender and sort of everything changed and started coming together. I actually stopped blogging because it felt like she had come out to us, but not to the world. And so it was really too personal to put out there at that time. At the same time, I felt like it took over my life so much that I couldn't really blog about something else. So it almost felt like I had lost myself and my writing voice for a little bit when she came out. And instead, I started just journaling some privately about what was going on in our home and mainly with my emotions and how I was handling being blindsided by having a teenager come out as transgender, what seemed like out of the blue to me. And then I was running with a friend of mine and she started talking about how one of her friends had taken some classes at UCLA through UCLA Extension. And I had always thought about possibly going back to school and taking some night classes for writing after all of my kids were in college. And suddenly that day, I just thought, well, why am I waiting for my kids to go to college to try to do this? You know, I don't want to look forward to when they're all out of the house so that I can move on with some of the things that I want to do. So I went home and I decided that I'd go ahead and sign up for Memoir One. And I remember I looked up the class and it was from 7 to 10 p.m. And I'm usually in bed by 9 p.m. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I signed up anyway. By this point, my daughter had come out to the rest of the world as well. And so she was more comfortable with me starting to talk about it. In that first UCLA class, again, my intention had been to write my own story and try to write about sort of coming into my own in my 40s. But we would have these free write sessions. And every time we had a free write session, I realized that I was writing about some combination of her and myself and how our stories sort of blended and had some similarities. One is a teenager who goes inward to see what is going on with her and her gender identity and then comes out to the world. And the other one being my experience of having to examine how my insecurities from the past and my upbringing were causing me to parent my child with fear. You know, I had now this daughter who I felt was going to be an outsider and I was, you know, very worried that she was going to have this different experience. I myself in my teens was an Iranian immigrant in the U.S. at a time when it was really a bad time to be an Iranian and had felt very much on the outside and had been bullied some. And so I would draw these comparisons between my own teen years and what she was going through and sort of my fears and worries for her that I was projecting onto her from my own experience and how 
I had sort of spent my whole life feeling like I needed to prove my worth and really decided that I needed to put all that behind me and evolve and come into my own and be sure of who I am. So she went through this process where she became sure of who she was and how she wanted to live and be her authentic self. And I, at the same time, went through that sort of same process of realizing that I need to know my own worth and value who I am and know that I don't need to prove myself as a woman, an immigrant, physician, a mother, anything, you know, really. And that her story was really the timely one that needed to be told and be out in the world. A lot of what helped with that class is we had an assignment to write either half an hour or a thousand words a day, I think. And I decided I was going to pick a thousand words a day for the duration of that class because I could easily waste half an hour writing 200 words only. So if I picked the word count, then I would do it. So by the end of that, I think it was a 10-week session, I had a lot of words. <laughs> and a lot of that ended up being parts of that that I took and used in my memoir. By the time that 10-week class was over, I knew where my book was going to start and where my book was going to end, that there was going to be an A storyline and there was going to be a B storyline and that my daughter would be the A storyline and my story would be the B storyline that would sort of weave in and out in flashbacks and her story. So really for one class, I mean, I got so much and I think a lot of it was just forcing myself to write a thousand words a day. You know, half of it ended up being not usable, but half of that is still a lot of words that you can elaborate on and turn into something. Whether that was breaking it up into three 300 word segments through my day or finding time during my lunch, really committing to doing that 1,000 words a day. When the house was really quiet and dark was when I could work best and when I could focus best. A lot of times I was setting my alarm for five in the morning and getting up and getting a coffee and sitting in the quiet with just a little bit of light and writing it. I find that after 5 p.m., I pretty much can never get anything done. It would take me so much longer to get the words out if I ended up putting it off until later because I couldn't get up that morning. Oftentimes when I would go on a run, thoughts and ideas would come up to me about what I should write about next. And so then when I would come home, I would jot down a few sentences. And if I already knew what I was going to write about the next day, then it was that much easier the next day and I was that much ahead. So surprisingly, I wrote my first draft in four months, which is a pretty short amount of time when I listen to other authors talk about how long it takes them to write a book. I think a lot of that is because when my daughter was coming out, I didn't see a therapist for myself, which probably would have been well advised. And I just felt like there was too much going on and I didn't have time for it. And so really I would just journal some. And when I went to really sit down and write the book, I think the words just poured out of me and the writing process became very therapeutic for me. Yeah, I think the journaling was really instrumental. There are a lot of journal entries that I directly put into my memoir. I would know exactly when 
things happened and I could read those and be back in that moment with that deep level of emotion that I had been in, even if I was in a much better place now when I was writing it. I also think that the years before of blogging was a lot of just writing about myself. So I was used to telling my stories and I blended in some of those stories from my blog into the book as well. And right after Memoir One, I took Memoir Two. And in Memoir Two, I really honed my first and last chapter and workshopped those. And so those were instrumental in my proposal for sort of getting it out and ready for agents. Really, I finished a first draft, wrote a query letter, and got the proposal mostly ready before sending out the query letter because you know I started looking up agents and some agents wanted query letter with proposal at the same time some wanted just query letter writing a nonfiction proposal was definitely one of the harder parts of getting this done really getting an agent and a publisher are much harder than writing the actual book itself and I just looked up some books on how to write a nonfiction proposal and looked at different outlines and tried to follow them. And I think it's really hard as somebody who wasn't really a writer or wasn't somebody who considered herself a writer. I mean, I had published an essay in the Washington Post and one in the Huffington Post. You know, I had a few essays here and there, but I didn't really think of myself as a writer or somebody who's in the writing world. And so trying to come up with a marketing plan and section and seeing what sort of platform you have was definitely really difficult. And I think also another part that was really hard for me was coming up with good chapter summaries. I mean, I had wanted to write my entire first draft first because I didn't know how I was going to write chapter summaries without having a real idea of what was going to go into them. But I still found it really hard to write an interesting chapter summary. It's hard to write one paragraph about a chapter and make it read and flow well and and sound interesting. And it took me probably about two months or so maybe to write my proposal. And the agent I ended up choosing, she actually said that the proposal was great, but that the chapter summaries were really where she felt it needed the most work. And then I ended up hiring my memoir two teacher, who's an editor to help me revise my chapter summaries. And I think really her help was invaluable in getting my book out there and making the process a lot easier. And I have to say, there were many times when I thought about self-publishing and she kept insisting that this was a story that I would find a publisher and that it needed to be out there and Every time I talked about the possibility of self-publishing, she would say, no, no, you don't need to do that. Don't, don't worry about it. Just be patient. And I sent a query letter to over 50 agents. Interestingly, in the first 50 agents, I got almost no response back. And a few of them said, okay, send a proposal, but then never really followed up. I I think at a certain point, I felt like I was spending more time investigating and finding an agent than I did on the actual writing of the book. So that's hard. (laughs) Yeah. 
and I was ready to give up. And I said, okay, I'm going to query another 50 agents. And if in a hundred agents, nobody's interested, then, then maybe this is not supposed to happen. And then from agent 51 to 60, and I'd send them in batches of 10, I had four agents who were suddenly interested. I don't really know how or why that happened, <laughs> but then I interviewed four different agents and, you know, ended up sending my proposal and, and talking to them. And, and we started getting my proposal out while my nonfiction proposal was being shopped around by them. And while I was waiting to hear back from agents, I started revising my first draft. I had a friend who was in my memoir two class with me and also had a completed first draft. We sort of swapped first drafts and each read them and gave each other some feedback and then sort of went along revising from there. I think that we started getting my proposal out either end of June or early July, and I got an offer from New World Library, I believe in late October, and we signed in November, so about three to four months, four months at least, which was really pretty fast. But I think it's because I wrote it really fast and it was a topic that is kind of booming and was booming at that time. You know, when my daughter came out at 13, I had been completely blindsided by it and I had looked for other stories of trans kids and trans young adults and parents' stories about their kids coming out. In 2017, everything I would read was about kids who had presented when they were really young in early childhood. And I felt like a story like ours, where a child comes out older, that narrative was missing. And it was what I needed to read when she came out and what I felt like other parents in my situation needed to read. So I think that's part of why things really moved along faster for us. Honestly, it was torture. I mean, every day was... <laughs> You know, it just, I was scared to check my emails and I would check my email a hundred times a day. And if I would see an email from my agent, my heart would drop and then I would get disappointed. And it would be like one more person said no. And one more person said no. And one more person said no. And so I had actually just gotten to the point where I had thought, okay, well, I've come this far. I'm going to start looking into self-publishing or approaching some small presses on my own. Right when I thought that very soon I might start to go down that route, I had a voicemail from my agent. Uh, I was in a yoga class and I came out and there was a voicemail from my agent on my phone. And she doesn't usually call me. She usually emails me. So I got really excited and she said, yeah, I have some good news for you. We have a publisher. It was just incredibly exciting and validating. and. It had been a complete emotional roller coaster the months before that. And I was probably not very pleasant to live with the months before that either. So, yeah. <laughs> when I had to choose my agent, you know, I had four agents who seemed like they were great and they were all very interested. And so the first thing I did was just interview them all on the phone to get a feel of sort of how passionate were they about my book and what I had to say, and also just research sort of 
who they had represented before and what type of publishers they had landed for their other clients. And ultimately, I ended up narrowing it down to the two agents who seemed to me like they were most passionate about the story and the topic itself. And interestingly, I first chose a different agent between the two of them because she came from a bigger agency and had published books with bigger publishing companies. And she was incredibly enthusiastic when we talked on the phone and she sent me multiple follow-up emails about why I should pick her. And I ended up choosing her. And within a few days, she said, okay, well, let's set up another meeting on Thursday. And when I called her on Thursday, it was a whole different story than what I had heard before. And She really wanted me to suddenly change my book and interview other parents of trans kids and tell a story that was beyond my own story. It was really not at all what we had discussed or what was in my proposal. And I felt really dismayed and disappointed at that point. And I told her, you know, that's not the proposal I gave you and that's not the story that I want to tell. And she said, well, look at the history of, you know, what I've done for my clients and what type of publishers I've gotten. And nobody really knows who you are. You're going to have a really hard time getting a publisher if you don't change these things and follow my recommendations. And I talked to my husband and I mean, I was crying and I didn't know what to do because I was really worried that, oh, well, maybe, you know, what she was saying was right. And I just felt like I either wanted to tell the story the way I wanted to tell it, or I just wasn't going to tell it at all. So I ended up walking away from that agent and then going back to the (laughs) other agent that I had been contemplating. And I called her back and I said, If you're still interested, I would like to have another phone call. First, I just want to clarify that you're clear on the story that I'm telling. And I want you to know I'm not going to be very flexible on changing my story. And she said, no, I like this in your voice, the way you've written it and the way you've told it. And we went from there. And she ended up really being true to her word. We went through a lot of publishers and you know, if they weren't interested or they wanted me to change something, she would say no. And, you know, we ended up with my publisher, New World Library, who also appreciated the story as it was really in my own voice with very little changes, actually. My agent didn't end up working with me on the manuscript. She really just helped me polish up my proposal. And then we sent it out to publishers. You know, I had heard some nightmare stories about working with an editor and and publishing companies. You would hear so many stories about how an editor would want you to drastically change your book or send back to you something completely marked up where you had to almost start over. Fortunately, I really didn't have that experience at all. When I first sent my manuscript to the main editor at New World Library, 
she read through it. There were a few places where she wanted more information. And some of that were things I was comfortable sharing. Like she wanted me to talk a little bit about more about my cultural background. And some of the things she wanted me to talk about were, for example, some of the reactions of members in my husband's family. And I really didn't feel like that side of the story was, was mine to tell. And so I said, you know, I don't really want to speak for him or his parents, I want to tell my story. And they were really respectful of what I was willing to include and I, what I wasn't willing to include. And then they set me up with a second editor who really kind of went through line by line. And then there were lots of marks out and rewording. And how about if you rearrange this? But at the end of it, they said, once I turned back in the manuscript, I could take any edits I wanted and that if I really didn't agree with something that they would be okay with me keeping it whichever way I wanted. So I really had a great experience where I felt like I was really listened to and I was respected with regards to just what to include, how to word things. Some of the edits I felt like, well, that doesn't sound like my voice. And so I would just say, you know, rewording this doesn't sound like the way that I talk. So I don't want to reward it that way. And, and anytime I said something like that, it, it was respected. And then when it came to picking the cover, you know, at first we had thought that maybe we would make a cover like any other book, but then I ended up turning in some family photos and, and they took one of our family photos where we're walking on the beach and it just seemed perfect for it. And once I saw the photo with the title, I just felt like it was really quite a collaboration with New World Library. You know, there is not a huge publishing company. They're a smaller publishing company, but for me, maybe as a first time writer and with something this personal, I think it ended up being perfect for me. When it came to writing my daughter's story, I obviously had to get her permission to write about her. And we had a conversation together where I told her why I felt like her story and a, and a narrative like this was missing in the world and why it was needed and why if I'd had a story to read like this, how much it would have helped me. She was completely on board with me writing about her. She felt like if we can help one other trans kid or one other family with a trans kid, that it would be worth writing, which is really how I felt about it too. And I went through pictures that I was going to include to make sure she was comfortable with any pictures. Then there were a few that she vetoed. And I also went through whether or not we were going to keep her name or change her name and, you know, change her birth name, her current name. And she said that she wanted to keep her name and she didn't want me to change it. And after that, she didn't read the book until shortly before it came out and once the manuscript had really been finalized and turned in. And I think she trusted me to handle it appropriately and put in what was needed and leave out what wasn't. And interestingly, her dad, my husband, also didn't read the book until the final manuscript was turned in. And he also said, I'm just going to trust you to know what should and shouldn't be in this book. Being in a pandemic helped a little bit in terms of, you know, my daughter's in online school and wasn't going to physical school. And so 
you know, if other parents are reading it, she didn't really have to see people. But at the same time, she was very proud of the book. She put it on her social media and she did tell some of her friends to read it. She herself writes poetry and she's very vocal and very out there. And she's really proud of her mom for not only writing this, but I think, you know, the evolution I've had in myself as a result of her coming out and how much I've changed in this process. So I'm incredibly proud of her. She's proud of me and it's, it's all been really great experience. I think once you hear you're going to have a book published, you automatically start picturing this book signing where you're in a bookstore at a podium and the audience is sitting there all holding your book and you look at and you see your friends and family. And then a pandemic happens. You know, my book came out in September of 2020. And, you know, when we went on lockdown in March or April, I was like, well, by September, I mean, I'll be in a bookstore standing at a podium. (laughs) And, you know, as the months went by, it became clear that I was not going to have this big book signing at a bookstore and that the release wasn't going to be really the way I had imagined it. But I think it actually ended up working out for the best. And so our local bookstore in West Hollywood, Book Soup, did a online book talk conversation event for me with Tempe Lock. And I got to go in the store with my daughter, Ava, with the two of us with masks on and just sign a bunch of books for the bookstore. So we just had our two-person private book signing which ended up actually being really special. We took pictures in our masks with me signing the book. And one of our pictures ended up on this website, which was really nice. And the doing the sort of online book soup event enabled friends from all across the US to join in for my release. And so I think that actually ended up being not what I pictured, but it still ended up being a really meaningful, great event. And, you know, I think for me, I'm a pediatrician, I'm a physician, I've never really done anything creative. And I was really missing creativity in my life before I started writing. Putting this book out there was really the ultimate validation of having a creative side to me. And I think the feedback on the book has been really so humbling and touching and incredible. You know, I have parents of other trans teens and young adults emailing me all the time about how the story has touched them how the story is helping them handle the news of their children coming out differently and what a difference it's made to them. And the other surprising element has been hearing from a lot of trans people who have read the book, trans adults who've read the book, who've reached out to me to say that they finally really understand what it was like for their parent when they came out. And that has caused them to initiate some conversations and have some conversations with their parents that they hadn't had before. And I mean, that's just so incredible to hear something like that. For anybody who's contemplating writing a memoir, one, make sure you're journaling 
just in case you do decide to write a memoir because that ends up being incredibly helpful. And two, I would say, do it. I, I think just write it, write it for yourself and don't worry about whether or not it's gonna get published. You know, I heard so many people say that nobody's gonna be interested in a memoir that's not written by, you know, a celebrity or somebody that people know and that it's really hard for somebody who's not known to get a publisher for their memoir. And I myself love reading memoirs and I think people's stories are so interesting and you just have to write it for yourself. And if it's right, it will be shared. And if not, it'll be invaluable to have for yourself and for your family. And now a reading from Found in Transition, a mother's evolution during her child's gender change. I looked at my reflection in the mirror, trying to see if I still recognized myself. You can handle this. It's just another day. I tried to convince the eyes staring back at me from the mirror. Did my eyes still sing and dance with joy as my late Aunt Shaheen had once said they did? She had been holding my face in between her hands, locking eyes with me in an airport after six years apart. I can still feel her palms on my cheeks. My dark brown eyes maintained their pain and worry, but I looked away. What had been scheduled months in advance seemed to have suddenly snuck up on me. It was May 2nd, 2018, the day of our first appointment at the Center for Trans Youth Health and Development at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. Just less than a year since that first call in Thailand to discuss Ava's medical transition. I wasn't ready, but I knew I might never be. I had to remind myself what mattered was not my readiness, but Ava's body, which was getting more masculinized each day by testosterone that had no respect for anyone's timeline. Although Bavak had taken Ava to only one of her therapy appointments with Dr. Stern, leaving me to handle the rest, he had taken the afternoon off from work for this one. I signed Ava out of school early. Bavak drove. We drove mostly in silence. The distance, seven miles, takes about 45 minutes in LA traffic. Children's Hospital is almost directly across from the Kaiser Permanente Hospital on Sunset Boulevard, where I gave birth to Shada, and the drive took me back to that time almost 12 years earlier. When we moved to Los Angeles, after two years in Indianapolis, while Bobak completed a plastic surgery fellowship, I was seven months pregnant with Shada. Seven years after getting married, I was pregnant with my third and last child, a girl, and living in Los Angeles within a couple of miles of my aunt's old condominium. All my plans had panned out, check, check, check. I joked that my daughter had been waiting to be born in Hollywood, not in Cleveland like the boys. Although my ultrasound in Indianapolis had confirmed that I was having a girl, a little part of me still worried that the baby was a boy, the penis just tucked and not visible in the image. When I went to my first prenatal appointment at Kaiser Sunset, the obstetrician said, I'm going to order an ultrasound. We like to have our own ultrasounds on record. I felt relief when this ultrasound confirmed that there was no penis or testicles in sight. When my contraction started 10 days before my due date, at first I wasn't sure if it was labor. My first two labors had been induced at 40 weeks, so no one was expecting Shreda to arrive a little early. As we drove along sunset with me writhing in pain and now 100% sure this was labor, I was excited I was finally going to be a mother to a daughter. As it turned out, 
Shada was born by emergency C-section. I had started bleeding from a placental abruption and the baby's heart rate had been undetectable. The anesthesiologist had completely knocked me out for the surgery. The first incision was made at 10.02 a.m. Shada was out at 10.03 a.m. A couple hours later, waking up from anesthesia, before I could even open my eyes, I heard Babak's voice beside me and muttered, it's a girl, right? Now, as we parked just across from Kaiser, it felt like going to some sort of prenatal or birth appointment for Ava. Once again, I blamed myself for stupidity in caring about whether I had boys or girls. We were going to talk about blocking her body's testosterone and starting her on estrogen. Was Ava actually my first girl or was Shada my first girl? I thought of Shada as my first daughter, but would there come a day when that narrative would finally change in my mind? When I would think of Ava as my first? Did it matter? Would Shada's story and history change because of Ava? And what if it did? Shada was born on my late aunt Shaheen's birthday. She was the aunt I was closest to growing up, the aunt whose unexpected early death had me realize on my runs that I needed to live my life to the fullest and start taking risks, check everything off my bucket list. She was the aunt whose death had made me want to never visit Iran again, afraid that I'd step off the plane and not be able to breathe when I didn't see her eyes scanning the passenger for me. She'd had two boys and then a girl. I got pregnant with Shada about a year after her death. Shada's early arrival on Shaheen's birthday had felt like a gift and a sign from the universe, from my aunt finally making me a mother to a daughter. I'd spent a lifetime creating different narratives and stories like this. Now all the stories that I'd concocted in my head were being questioned, but did any of it matter? Stories are made up. They can be written, rewritten. The ending could be happy or sad, depending on the spin I chose to put on it. I could rewrite these stories, or I could stop giving them so much power. The Right Process is hosted and curated by me, Charlie Jensen. This season was produced by Jamie Moss. The Writer's Program offers courses, certificates, and services that help writers achieve their writing goals one page at a time. For more information, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.